Could we have, uh, uh, actually, Roy, would you mind opening us in prayer this morning? So this summer, we have been in a series called Faithful Even Through Failure. And this morning, we are going to talk about some D-listers in the Bible. Uh, some people that you may, may have heard of, I'm sure you've heard of them, uh, but whether or not you know much about them, well, we'll find out this morning. Uh, so as of Wednesday... This past week, if you were to Google, now this could change, this could be different today if you do it today, but as of Wednesday, if you were to Google the term A-list celebrity 2023, these are the top five that came up on Wednesday. Let's see if you can guess who these people are. Number five was Beyonce, all right? Number four was Jennifer Lopez. Number three was Justin Bieber. Number two was Miley Cyrus. And number one was Rihanna. Uh, now, you, you may have absolutely no clue who those people are. In fact, I don't really know much either. But these are apparently the A-listers right now. Uh, they are the most, uh, in, terms of, uh, in terms of amounts of people that pay attention to Individuals. They are the most influential, well-known, popular, top-tier, and even influencers of culture. They uh, are the people who get invited to the parties. They are the hip, the cool, the in. In fact, I uh, this was back in 2017. I remember this happening for some reason. Beyonce, who was number five on the list, tweeted a picture announcing her pregnancy, and it racked up 1,000 likes per second. Now, some of you are sitting there going, uh, what's a tweet? <laughs> and others are sitting there going, what's a like? Well, look, all you got to know is this, that these are the people that people follow. These are the people that people pay attention to. Today, we are not going to focus on A-listers of the Bible. You, know, you, you may think of some A-listers that are in there, people that are, you're very familiar with. Obviously, number one has to be Jesus, right? Uh, but you might think of the Apostle Paul or David or someone like that. Those are the A-listers. Today, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're not going to talk about A-listers. In fact, we're going to skip over the B and C-listers even. And we are going to look at the D-list disciples. These are the guys that you may not have known existed until today, but they are in your Bible more than once. So let's see if you can remember them. All right, I'm going to give you three today. We're going to cover three. James, Simon, and Judas. Now, I'm not talking about James, the, the brother of John. He was known as one of the sons of thunder. That James 
Jesus. He was an eyewitness of the transfiguration of Christ. I'm not talking about that James. I'm talking about James the Little. Do you remember him? Now we're in church, so you can't lie. <laughs> what about Simon? Do you remember him? I'm not talking about Simon Peter. Simon Peter was the rock before Dwayne the Rock Johnson. Peter was also part, just like James was, of the inner circle. He was the guy who called Jesus the son of the living God, who preached a powerful message of sin and repentance and faith in Christ in Acts chapter 2, through which God saved 3,000 people. I'm not talking about that, Simon. I'm talking about Simon the Zealot. Sounds a bit like an extremist, and he probably was. What about Judas? Well, that name probably conjures up in your mind the traitor. That, like, slithering snake, the greedy slime ball. <laughs> Judas Iscariot was the guy who betrayed Jesus, handed him over to be tried and crucified. Now, I'm not talking about that Judas. I'm talking about the other Judas. Did you know there was another Judas? Part of the reason that this other Judas is even part of the D-list is because the poor, the, the, the poor guy was named Judas. Uh, would you like it if your parents named you Judas? In every list of the 12 apostles in the Bible, Judas Iscariot, the traitor, is listed at the bottom of the barrel. Do you know who's listed half of the time in Scripture, just one notch above Judas Iscariot? It's the other Judas. So let's take a few minutes this morning and discover or maybe rediscover the D-list disciples. So there's four passages in the Bible that list out the 12 chosen disciples or apostles of Christ. They're Matthew 10, Mark 3, Luke 6, Acts chapter 1. So we're going to take a look at the list in Luke 6 and in Mark 3. So I've asked a couple brothers to read. Um, John, would you go ahead and read? John will be reading in Luke chapter 6, verses 12 through 16.
any differences? Any similarities between them? There's a few. Well, first of all, Simon the Zealot was also Simon the Canaanite. Okay. And that is, by the way, a not just a textual variant, but a difference in translating, okay, the, the word for zealot. So when you see those two differences, you'll find that it's, if, depending on what version you're reading, you'll find some that say zealot in both locations. Okay, notice anything else that was different between those lists? Who's that? It's good. Excellent. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> That's good. So, first person we're going to talk about today. Now, Listen, you, you've got your A-listers and Peter, James, and John. They're, they're like the, the inner circle of Jesus. They're the ones that were there at the Transfiguration. You often find them together with Jesus in an intimate way. You've, you've got your B and C-listers. You have Andrew, Philip. And when you read the name Bartholomew, uh, that is Nathaniel. Okay, so you, you read about Nathaniel in the book of John, the Gospel of John. And you have Matthew. Those are kind of like the B and C-listers. We, we can see through the Gospels some more information about those men and, and how they were involved, how they interacted with Christ. But you've got your one blacklister in Judas Iscariot, and then you have these really mysterious three that I'm just referring to today as these D-listers, and those are the ones that we're going to try to unlock this morning. Number one is James the Lesser. Now, let's in those lists that we read this morning, you read the, the name James, son of Alphaeus. You see that? That's who we're talking about here. After looking into the life of this man, I can tell you that I came out of that study pretty much just as confused as when I went into it. Okay? But, because there, there's so much conjecture about this apostle throughout church history. In fact, when you study these guys, you actually find that uh, the legends about them, the stories that are told about them, sometimes they actually intermingle and get confused with each other throughout the record of church history. And so there's been a lot of conjecture about the life of this apostle, but honestly, we know next to nothing about him. For starters, the name James... It was a very common name in the first century. He might as well have been called Joe Blow, okay? There were likely four different men in the, in the New Testament that were named James. Number one, there was James, the son of Zebedee, brother of John, we, we read his name, uh, who was martyred in Acts chapter 12. Number two, there was James, the half-brother of Jesus, who likely pastored the church in Jerusalem and also likely wrote the letter of James. Three, there was James, the father of Judas. Now, that's not Judas Iscariot, but the father of, uh, the, uh, of Ju Judas, this, this uh, other Judas that we're going to talk about today. And number four was James, the son of Alphaeus. And church history has mixed these guys up tremendously such that they say that they could have been related to one another. They say that they shared maybe the same mother, uh, that 
they traveled together, that they preached the gospel together, that, uh, and, and even stories about how they were martyred sometimes get mixed up between them. However, Scripture does give us a few clear facts about this James. Obviously, his father was Alphaeus. We can read that in Matthew's account, Mark's account, Luke's account, and Acts chapter 1, and all those accounts. That's who he is tagged with, the son of Alphaeus. Now, Matthew, or Levi, also had a father named Alphaeus. You'll see that in Mark chapter 2, verse 14. And so, potentially, this James could have been the brother of Matthew. But it's uncertain. His mother was one of the Marys who watched the crucifixion and helped prepare the body of Christ for burial. Look in Matthew chapter 27 for a moment. Matthew 27, verse 56. This is after uh, Jesus is crucified. Actually, let's start at verse 55. There were also many women there, this is at the cross, looking upon Christ as he died, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James. That's the one we're talking about. And Joseph, uh, Mary the mother of James and Joseph. So guess what else, what other information we have right here? In the name of his brother, Joseph. You're a virgin. You could say Joseph. It's the same name. And the mother of the sons of Zebedee. That's Salome, who you can read in Mark 15 about. So, so there's these different Marys gathered together, and we know that the mother of James' name is one of these Marys. Now, what about, you know, so we, so we know about his mother. We know about maybe even his brothers. But what about James himself? He is a man of mystery, except for one thing. He had a nickname. Let's turn to Mark chapter 15 for a moment. Mark chapter 15. And we're going to read about this James in uh, verse 40. Now, this is the incident at Gethsemane where Jesus is praying. He's finding his disciples asleep and <coughs> sorry, I'm in the wrong context here. I'm back, back at chapter 15, sorry. This is, again, after the death of Jesus, we have a description. Verse 40, there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James. Now look at that Description were given of him. James who? James, what does your version say? The less, younger. Anyone have the little? So, there's various ways of translating this word of description about James. In the ESV, it's James the younger. Another version has James the less, that would be KJV, NASB. Young James. Some versions have, and the Aramaic Bible says James the small, uh, James the little, the way of New Testament. There's even one that says James the least. That's the Berean literary or literal Bible. 
not exactly an A-lister. Instead, he's an A-lister, right? <laughs> that was bad. I should have read that joke shirt today. But here's the deal. The, the, the word in Greek that's describing James here means small in size, small in stature. So, for all of you vertically challenged people out there, this very well could be the apostle for you. This is James, possibly a short guy. The, the reality is we're, we're not 100% sure that, that whether or not he was short. I mean, most guys don't like being, being called short, right? But here you have a guy that was, he, he may have been short. But there's another possibility. His, uh, his nickname might simply have meant that he was the youngest. But the most probable reason for James' nickname as the lesser would have been in comparison to James, the son of Zebedee, the son of thunder. He was, this was the lesser James. That greater James, son of thunder, he's over here. Everybody knows about him. This is James, the lesser. Kind of started thinking about maybe if Pastor Joe was nicknamed as an apostle, he would have been Joey, son of thunder. But as I consider James the lesser, I think his most prominent feature was likely his anonymity. He lived in the background of the other 11 apostles. He was James the least out of the group. This reminds me of a time when the disciples got in an argument about among, among them about who was the greatest. Do you remember that? Luke chapter 9. I'll just read it for you. Luke chapter 9. An argument, this is verse 46, an argument arose among them as to which of them was the greatest. But Jesus, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, took a child put him on his side, and said to them, Whoever receives this child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least, that's the same word used to describe James. For he who is least among you all is the one who is great. And so I would submit that likely the greatest feature of James the least it's his anonymity. It reminds you that he is like Jesus, who had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought peace upon Christ uh, was upon him. And by his wounds we are healed. Church history is very sketchy about James the least. Some say he took the gospel to Syria and to Persia. So he would have gone into some areas that even today many people would, would hesitate if God called them there. He is often pictured with a club because legend has it that he was beaten to death for the gospel. There's even a legend that he was thrown from the temple and then stoned. We honestly don't really know. We do know Jesus personally.
personally selected James the Lesser. We know that. He sent him as an apostle. We know that. He empowered him by the Holy Spirit to preach the gospel of Christ. We know that. So my question to you is this. What defines your life? Your, your life is defined by what you walk after. What you pursue. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1. Walk worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Many of us wrestle with what our lives have even amounted to. We wrestle with what we're worth, have we done, or will we do anything significant? Well, I just want to say this morning, encourage you, even from the life of, of, of James the Lesser, if you serve Jesus Christ, if you follow his call, you are living a worthy life, delister or not. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, I just want to read a passage that I know you know. I'm sure you've heard this, but I think it's appropriate right here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? And, and, and who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, everything. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in that's James the Lesser. The second one we're going to look at today is Simon the Zealot. Next on the D list. There were several Simons in the Bible, just like there were several James. There was Simon Peter. There was Jesus' brother Simon. There was Simon of Cyrene who bore the cross of Christ. There was Simon the leper. Um, there was Judas Iscariot's father named Simon. There was Simon the Magician in Acts chapter 8. Simon the Tanner. Lots of them. And there was Simon the Zealot. With this title, Simon was likely associated with a group of extremist, militant, political traitors. Hang on to your seats. Now, look, this past week we celebrated Independence Day here in the U.S., and there were some great memes that came with that. My wife sent me one of George Washington pointing out and saying, have fun at work tomorrow, England. I love that. We take a minute to figure that out. <laughs> Adelaide Pierce told us this one. She said, treason is the reason for the season. So that's a good one. Now, it's possible that Simon simply had a zealous personality, um, but this phrase, this term zealot, was linked with, and probably linked him with, a specific political, fanatical group in Jesus' day. We've seen a great deal of protest going on in our country, especially since uh, the Trump administration had taken office. 
And look, you, you may agree with some of them, you may disagree with some of them, but what you have to admit is that no matter what side you're on and whatever view, people are nuts sometimes. I mean, they are zealous about their cause. You know, at one point, Madonna wanted to blow up the U.S. Capitol, right? And then people actually stormed it. These are the kinds of ideas that zealots in the New Testament had. New Testament times, I should say. They, they were rooted in a zeal for the Torah. And they were rooted in the Maccabean resistance. Now, if you don't know what that is, you can research that this afternoon. But they hated the Roman government. Their primary goal was to overthrow the Romans. Their, their primary means was through terrorism. The zealots believed that only God had the right to rule over Israel. And these guys were not far from what we would call radical terrorists today. A zealot believed that he was the agent of God's divine judgment. He believed to kill a Roman soldier was to accomplish God's plan for the world. The zealots had a group of secret assassins. They had a group of secret assassins called the Dagger Men. And their job was to kill government officials. They believed that when the Messiah came, he would lead them in overthrowing the Roman government. So is it any wonder that when Simon saw Jesus' miracles and, 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 and then realized this is or could be the Messiah, no wonder he followed I imagine that Simon the Zealot was kind of in the front of the group. As Jesus had risen from the grave and was about to ascend, they asked him, Lord, Lord, will at this time you restore the kingdom to Israel? I kind of, I kind of imagine Simon the Zealot going, now the time. The Zealots believed, now think about this for a moment, the Zealots believed that paying taxes to Caesar was treason against God. Now, think about this group of disciples. Who was in it? <laughs> Matthew, a tax collector. Kind of makes you wonder how those two got along. I wonder if they ever, you know, got any, like, political debates at the dinner table. Yeah, I can almost see, like, Matthew trying to get Simon going. So, Simon, um, you know, when I was making a deposit in the Roman treasury the other day, <laughs> when Jesus was arrested, Peter grabbed a sword and cut the ear off of the high priest's servant. And I kind of picture Simon the Zealot cheering him on, yeah, go for the head! Go for the head! Now, imagine a guy like that under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and you've got Simon the Zealot, apostle of Christ. Christ came into the life of this man and refocused that heart completely. After teaching his disciples, Jesus was um, Jesus sent them out first to the lost sheep of Israel, and you know. That, that, and you can read about that in Matthew chapter 10. But, you know, there's, there's a kind of a side of that where you think, well, 
That would have been exciting for a guy like Simon Zell. Yeah, we're going to the last sheep of Israel. Why? Because this is the Messiah, and we're going to take back over the Roman government. We're going to overthrow them. By the way, when he was sent out, many believe because of how he's listed in the list of apostles that he was sent along with Judas Iscariot. That, that, that's an evangelistic team right there, right? Simon the Zealot alongside of Judas Iscariot, the traitor. But Jesus in his wisdom knows what he's doing. And he sends them to the lost sheep of the house of Israel first. And, you know, I think Simon the Zealot would have been on board with that plan. But at the end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 28, we find Jesus sending them out again. Not just to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but he's sending them out. Now think about this. You know this, these verses. In Matthew chapter 28, therefore, he's telling, and Simon would have been within earshot of Jesus, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, including the Romans. baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you, even to love your enemies. Think about, put yourself in Simon the Zealot's shoes for a moment. In that moment, things are changing for you. But imagine a man like that, with that kind of passion, that kind of spark of zeal, committed to cause of Jesus Christ, and you have someone poised to be participate in setting the world on fire with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you know what? The zealots literally did set things on fire. Buildings. But here you have a man whose heart has been transformed through Christ. Set hearts on there's lots of stories about how Simon took the gospel, empowered by the Holy Spirit, from the eastern part of the world to the western part of the world. Ninth century church historian named Nicephorus I of Constantinople, this is what he wrote about Simon the Zealot. Simon, born in Cana of Galilee, that's how, that's that reference to what you pointed out, the difference in Zealot versus Simon of Canaan, okay? Simon, born in Canaan of Galilee, who for his fervent affection, for his master and great zeal that he showed by all means to the gospel, was surnamed Zelotus. Having received the Holy Ghost from above, traveled through Egypt and Africa, then through Maritania, and all Libya, preaching the gospel. And the same doctrine he taught to the Occidental Sea and the isles called Britannia. What that means is, from all the way on the eastern side of Africa, I'm sorry, the west eastern side of Africa, all the way to the British Isles, Simon Zell took the gospel. While various traditions exist about his life, all accounts of him say that he was killed for the cause of Christ. In fact, he is often pictured with a saw in his hand. Because, as legend has it, he was sawn in two for preaching the gospel. Kind of reminds 
chapter 11. This is what is known as that chapter of the Hall of Faith. All these people who lived and accomplished things by faith in our great Lord and Savior. Verse 36. Now we've got all these A-listers named throughout all of chapter 11. Let me get to verse 36. Let's start with verse 35. Even. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They were about, they went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. Let me ask you a question this morning. What gets you fired up? What are you zealous about? The Super Bowl? Your job? Your kids? Your political point of view? So we have James the Little, Little James, James the Lesser, James the Least. We have Simon the Zealot. Number three today, we're going to talk about the other Judas. And John mentioned that who was this guy named Thaddeus? Okay. Well, our final D, this is our final D-lister, and I think of him as Judas the Mama's boy. Okay? <laughs> Judas the Mama's boy. Why do I call him Judas the mom's boy? Well, it's because that's what Mark and, or Mark and Matthew call them in their list. If you look at their list, this Judas had a nickname. And his nickname was Thaddeus, which basically means a bosom child, a mama's boy, a nursing baby. Now, you know, if you have a King James Version, it might also call him Labius, which is a Hebrew word basically that means the same thing. He's a heart child. That word means. Either way, you're, you're left with the impression that having been given this nickname, that this Judas was like the baby of the family. Now, some of you are sitting here with younger siblings, you see Judas with the name Thaddeus is that he was likely a tender person, childlike, a childlike one of the group, you know, quite a bit different than a zealot. Wouldn't surprise me if Judas got excited in you know, that passage that we read where the children came and Jesus said, let the children come to me. I kind of think of Thaddeus as the guy like, can I come? Can I sit in his lap? thoughts uh, of tenderness 
that's not exactly the impression we are left with when simply we think of him as Judas, right? I mean, that name, the name Judas, brings thoughts of treachery because of Judas Iscariot. In fact, the gospel writers often added, that, like, it's believed that they added this tag, not only the nickname Thaddeus, but also other times when he's, he's referred to as not Judas Iscariot, but the other Judas, many believe that they did that because they were trying to avoid that name. Avoid that association with the person reading it. That, no, it's not the traitor. It's this other one. In fact, he was like a bosom child. He was like a heart child. In John chapter 14, if you turn there, moments, but in John chapter 14 we see an example of this in verse 22. Now this, this is uh, when Jesus is with his disciples in that upper room the night before he was uh, the night when he was betrayed and he is speaking to his disciples, teaching them about the coming of the Holy Spirit and, and a number of things reminding them of his command to love in chapter 14 uh, we'll start in verse 21. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And in verse 22, Judas, now not Iscariot, said to him. You see it? A very deliberate attempt to help us to understand this is not the traitor. The contrast of those two men could not be emphasized enough. Iscariot had a treacherous heart. Thaddeus likely had a very tender one. In fact, in the, in the Catholic Church tradition, people avoided connection with this saint. Okay? Of course, you know, Catholics raise up the level of saints to some kind of, you know, superhuman level to which, and even like lower deity level in which they pray to them and so on. But listen, they, they often, because of his name, Judas, often avoided connection with him simply because of his name. So he became known as the patron saint of lost causes. I'm not kidding you. In other words, if you don't got anywhere else to turn, okay, I guess you can turn to Judas, the other one. He's desperate to help anybody. So who is this man? Well, he's clearly a D-lester, so again, there's not a whole lot of information we have about him. We, we do know that Matthew and Mark indicate that he was paired up in the sending out with, with James the Lesser. So you have, two, you have a heart child and, and James the Least being sent out together. Interesting pairing. Working side by side for the sake of the gospel. I imagine him there with Jesus at the Sermon on the Mount. You know, this, this Thaddeus, this heart child. I imagine him there at the Sermon on the Mount, because he would have been there, hanging, especially on the words of the Beatitudes. You think about that. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the heart child we're talking about here. Blessed are the meek, for they 
shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I know. It's a great illustration of essentially Thaddeus, the other Jews. John 14, in this text that we're looking at right now, we overhear a brief conversation that Thaddeus had with Jesus to demonstrate, which demonstrates a, a sincere, humble desire to know Christ. Here they are in the upper room. Jesus had just washed the disciples' feet, even the D-listers. He was, he was delivering his parting words before he started his journey to the cross. And in verse 21, this is what Jesus says. I'll read it again. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Now, imagine being Thaddeus, the heart child, listening to Jesus talk about who loves him. And it is he who, uh, and, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. And now notice, you know, look, you can think about Peter's responses to Jesus. I mean, he makes these powerful proclamations, right? You are the, the Christ, the Son of the living God. That's how he responds. Often ends up with his foot in his mouth eventually. But Thaddeus simply inquires. Look what he does in verse 22. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that, that you will manifest yourself to us and not the world? Think about that for a second. Have you ever thought that? Why me? We've read a passage in 1 Corinthians already this morning. You notice how many times it said God chose? You ever wondered why me? Thaddeus is thinking this through. Yourself to us and not the world. And it almost makes me think that he's in that place where he is ready to be sent into the world of the gospel. He's thinking about this. Jesus has an amazing answer. Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me. It's kind of Answers him with divine wisdom and grace. I will have a personal relationship with anyone who loves me and keeps my word. That's what he says in the heart child. That is seen like the complete opposite personality, didn't he? Guys like Peter, who made such proclamations, he just inquired. He wanted to know more about Jesus and his heart for him. I wonder if that conversation in the upper room drove Thaddeus' ministry for the rest of his life. As he preached the gospel. I wonder if those words of Jesus were ringing in his ears. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my Father will love him. That's the promise. We don't know who they are. boisterously preaching to the crowds at Pentecost. You know, Thaddeus was there that day. And, and you know, Peter's calling them to repent 
repentance of sin. And I kind of just imagine Thaddeus sort of like James the Lesser, and he's paired up with sort of a new background going one by one throughout. Inviting people to love Christ. Both are essential to gospel ministry. We can't understand God's mercy and love outside of understanding his holiness and wrath because of our sin. Jesus must be proclaimed to the crowds and he must be proclaimed to the individuals. After Pentecost, historians say that Thaddeus took the gospel into Syria. Again, Turkey, difficult places on earth. There are stories of him healing, having a special healing ministry. And as an apostle, he would have had that. He had the signs of the apostle that were shown through him, that Christ accomplished through him. So there are stories of him healing the king of Edessa. Tradition says that Judas was killed. It's always these, these, these really horrible ways, right? You know, you got James the Lesser with a club. You have uh, uh, Simon the Zealot sawn in two. And Judas, Thaddeus, with an axe. In Beirut.
In that book, he wrote that that is the legacy of their true greatness. That they were involved in laying the foundation of Christ for the church. These were ordinary men with flaws, human weaknesses, through whom Jesus laid the foundations. Jesus shaped the delisters into, you know, I don't even like this term, but like spiritual heroes in a way. We, we understand that no matter whom we're studying about in the Bible, no matter what character we're studying, uh, even through this whole series, that the real hero of it all is Christ our Lord, right? That's it. None of these guys would ever claim, except in their own flesh, to be the point of the story. But they actually will have honor, even these delisters, because it is said of them in Revelation chapter uh, chapter 21, verse 14, that their names, the names of the 12 apostles, will be written in the foundation stones of the eternal city. Including the delisters. Jesus uses ordinary people in extraordinary ways for his own sake and his own glory. Never underestimate what Jesus wants to accomplish in his delisters. In fact, I often think, even based upon the passage that we read earlier in, in Mark, those are the ones he likes to use. We are not the Jesus is the point. Not to us, O Lord, not to us, but to your name we give glory, right? John the Baptist's example is so clear. John 3, verse 30. He must increase. I must chances that I move all the way from North Carolina to the middle of Trout Run. I've never known of another Mike Bayosi before. But not only 
tell you that there is another Mike Maiosi in a no-name town, but a legendary one that everybody knows. This guy was known for decades because he owned a general store. He served as a firefighter. He did all kinds of heroic stuff. Then along comes some punk D-lister with the same name, being called Chief Mike. The audacity of that young guy. And they say, are you the Mike Biosi from Ralston? For the millionth time, no, I'm not that guy. What made it torturous is this. I actually met that guy. And you know what? He was awesome. <laughs> he was a great guy. And, and I mean, like, I wanted to be Mike Biosi from Ralston now. problem in the Corinthian church, and it's a pride problem, people making big deals about leaders in the church, saying, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of this guy, I'm of that guy. Listen to this, chapter 3, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? It's Mike Maiosi for that matter. It's Pastor Joe. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's people, God's building. And then eventually, yes, that most of us in this room are like me. You know, we're, we're probably among the personalities, with their different giftedness. God, such that you know, 
know, these men, we think, pointed so much to Christ that we don't even really know who they are. They're not really remembered very well. But Christ is. And I pray, God, that perhaps today we might be encouraged to not grasp back to the wrong thing. But that, Lord, we would understand that it is an honor to be a slave of Jesus Christ. And we don't need an 